So this summer, we've been working on how to pray, learning how to pray from the book of Psalms. And so we've learned how to pray at those times when we are spiritually dry from Psalm chapter 13, how to pray when we're discouraged from Psalm 42, how to pray when our faith is weak from Psalm 23, when we can need to confess sin from Psalm 51, when we want to praise God from Psalm 145, and when we need to grow in trusting God from Psalm 62 last week. And now this morning, we're going to talk about how to pray at those times when we are going through lament. Lament, that is grief and sorrow and tragedy and difficulties. This is from Psalm 143. How to pray in those times when we are experiencing lament. Now, here's some background. Every follower of Jesus will go through times of lament. God has not promised that he would keep us from all trials. But what he does promise, I love these promises, is that he will use every time of trial to bring us more of his nearness, more of his love, more of his presence, more of his comfort. He promises that. And he promises to do that for us as we earnestly pray. It doesn't happen automatically, but it says we pray in those times of trial that God pours his presence out upon us even more. And Psalm 143 tells us how we should pray at those times in order to receive all that God has for us. Psalm 143. So let's turn there. Powerful psalm. Oh, I have enjoyed this psalm this week. And as I read this through now, I want you to follow along with me, but let's keep our eyes open for how David describes what situation did he face and how did it affect him? What situation was he facing and then how is it affecting him? Let's start with verse 1, Psalm 143, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas, my, my pleadings for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servants, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled, overcome, overwhelmed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Now, just to pause here, we aren't exactly sure what the word Selah means, but it's probably something like maybe a, a musical interlude, because these songs were sung. So like a musical interlude, maybe an instrumental, a time to pause to let what David has just written kind of sink into our hearts, possibly. So Selah, end of, end of verse 6. Then verse 7. 
Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit, the place of the dead. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. That's the word of God. That's God's words for us, given to David for us today. Now, what situation was David facing? What was going on? He summarizes it in verses three and four. Start with verse three. He says, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. So David has an enemy. In verse nine, he uses the word enemies, plural, more than one. So these, these enemies could have been human enemies. Like we know he had, Saul was one of David's enemies. His son Absalom became his enemy. They could have been human enemies. Or they could be spiritual enemies. Satan, his demons, or possibly both. But David had enemies. And look at what these enemies had done to him. They have pursued his soul. Imagine having enemies that are after you. They've crushed his life to the ground. How would you be feeling if your life was crushed to the ground? They've made him sit in darkness like those long dead. And then in verse four, he explains how this affected him emotionally. He says, therefore, my spirit faints within me. So he's feeling depleted, empty, powerless spiritually. My heart within me is appalled. That is, he's overwhelmed with sorrow, with shock, with dismay, with sadness. So that's what happened to David. But David is not alone. The Bible is clear, Genesis to Revelation, that all of us who trust Jesus will go through times like this. His followers will go through times like this. I mean, think about Job. Job was the most righteous man in all the world. And what happened to Job? Job lost all of his servants. Then he lost all of his wealth, his livestock. Then he lost all of his children. And then he lost his health as Job. Or think about Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet. You can read in Jeremiah and Lamentations, weeping, weeping, heartbroken over the destruction of Jerusalem. Or think about Jesus, our Savior, our Master. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's going to be crucified 
and he's, he's praying with groans and cries. So Jesus himself wasn't spared from this. None of his followers are going to be spared from this. God allows all of us to face this sort of situation from time to time. You may get a call from your doctor with bad news and just are overwhelmed with fears and shock and grief. Or maybe you hear that your company is shutting down and you're full of questions. What's this going to mean? Worries, anxiety about the future. Or your child makes a heartbreaking decision and you're just consumed with sadness and with questions and with fears. So we're all going to have times like David experiences in Psalm 143. And God had David write this psalm to help us at those times. That's why David wrote this. That's why God gave it to him. That's why it's put in the Bible is to help us as we go through these times. So let's ask the second question. That's what happened to David. That's what he was experiencing. That's what we all will experience from time to time. So what should we do at times like this? What should we do? But now before we look at the passage to answer that question, let's ask what, what do we do? I mean, honestly, what do you do at those times when you are overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and, and struggle? Do you call someone up who you can like share your burden with? That can be very helpful. God can powerfully use that. That's a good thing to do. Do you get angry at God? That, that's not right. We never have any reason to be angry at God. That's not trusting and it doesn't help anything. Do you just like maybe pull in, isolate, sit and stew in your grief and your lament and your sorrow? It's so easy to do that, but that doesn't help anything. Many of us probably try to distract ourselves with work or hobbies or shopping or something like that, but distracting just means that you're putting off the inevitable. You got to face it at some point in time. So distracting yourself isn't helpful. Those are some of the ways we can respond. How does David respond though in the Psalm? Look again at verse one. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. What should we do at those times? Grace Church, we should pray. We should pray at those times. Not just, oh God, this is hard, help me, or not like while you're driving to work or while you're doing something else, but, but set aside a chunk of time to go hard after God, to seek his face, to press in to meet him, like David does here in Psalm 143. What we should do is pray. So then, how should we pray? What should we pray? And that's what Psalm 143 tells us. And as I studied this psalm this week, I found 10 ways we should pray. 10 ways. Now, we're not going to quiz you on all 10. I, I don't expect anybody to remember all 10 of these, but here's what I would suggest that you do is I've been praying. Let's let's be praying right now that that. One or two, maybe three of these will touch each of you 
different ones. We're all different places. But that there may be one of these that the Holy Spirit just says, this is something I want you to focus on in your prayer life this week. Or this is something I want you to be strengthening in your prayer life. So I'm going to give you 10 from this. Just going to walk through it verse by verse. But then latch on to one, maybe two, maybe three that you can implement, that you can work into your prayer life this week. So how should we pray? 10 ways from a Psalm 143. Number one. David asks God to hear his prayer. It's kind of puzzling. Do you ever pray this way? Look at verse one. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. Notice that David says the same thing, basically has the same, states the same request in three different ways. Hear my prayer, give ear to my plea, and answer me. And the fact that he repeats this three different times shows that this is very important to me. Father, hear me. Hear my prayer. Now, why would David ask God to hear his prayer? There's probably a number of reasons. But one that I want to mention and focus on is, it's because this would strengthen David's confidence that God does hear his prayer. So it strengthened his faith that God is hearing my prayer. Here's why that's so important. Our faith in God's promises, including his promises to hear our prayer and and other promises, it, it goes up and down depending on the circumstances you're in, right? Some of you this morning, your faith is strong. Others of you, it's just like muddling along down here, okay? Depending on circumstances, what's going on, our faith gets strong, our faith gets weak. And especially in times of lament, when you're facing a difficulty, a trial, when you're full of sorrow and grief, especially at those times, our faith in God can become weak. And we can struggle to believe that God is hearing us. We can struggle to believe that God loves us. We can struggle to believe that that God cares about us in any way. And so it's at those times that it can be very helpful to pray and say, God, hear my prayer. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, answer me. What I've experienced, and I think what David, the reason David prays this here is that when we come before God and say, Father, hear my prayer, listen to my pleas for mercy, answer me in your faithfulness. As we do that, God will come and strengthen our faith. We'll have the sense of a father coming alongside and saying, of course, I am right here. I love you. Tell me what's going on. What do you need? God will come and strengthen your faith as you pray. Hear my prayer, Father. That's the first one. David asks God to hear his prayer. So try this as you pray this week. Father, hear my prayer. And second, David admits to God that he is not righteous in himself. Now, verse two is puzzling. Look at, the, look at the, how, how he argues here, how, this flow of thought. Verse 2, he says to God, Enter not into judgment with your servants, for no one living is righteous before you. That's strange. God, don't, don't judge me because no one is righteous, because everybody deserves to be judged. See how strange that is? God, don't judge me because everybody deserves to be judged. 
What's David saying? I think what David is saying is he's owning up to the fact that he himself and every human being is not righteous before God. Not righteous before God. Now, this is huge. Some of you may be from different faith backgrounds, and this may sound a little strange to you, but this is what Jesus taught very clearly. This is taught all through the Old Testament, New Testament. This is the truth. No human being is righteous before God. We've all sinned against God so much that we deserve only judgment from him. We all are unrighteous before him. And there's nothing that we can do to make up for our sin or to make ourselves be righteous before God. Now, in our pride, me, all of us, everyone in the world, we all think from time to time that we can do something to make up for our wrong or to make ourselves righteous before God. I'll just start going to church, right? Or I'll I'll, I'll pray a certain number of times every day. I'll give money to the poor. We think that we can do these things to make up for our sin, to make up for our unrighteousness. But that's a lie. There's nothing that we can do. Jesus was so clear in his teaching that there is nothing that any human being can do to make up for our sin, to make up for our unrighteousness. There's nothing we can do. And we need to feel that. Have you come to the place in your life where you owned up to the reality that here you are, man or a woman standing before God, God is righteous and holy and just and good, and I have sinned against him, and I deserve only judgment from him, and there is nothing that I can do to change that. Left to myself, it's hopeless. Have you come to the place where you've seen that? Because you have to come to that place before you can understand then the amazing truth that Jesus taught and what Jesus did because Jesus came and he said, yes, there's nothing that you can do, but look at what the father has done. Look at what I have done. God sent his son, Jesus to do what you could not do. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous, sinless life. Never sinned. And Jesus went and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who will trust him. And so when you turn and put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust Jesus to forgive you, to change you, to satisfy you in himself, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, every sin that you've ever committed is forgiven. All the past sins, forgiven. All the present sins that are still in there struggling, forgiven. All your future sins, forgiven. You go from being guilty to being forgiven. And God takes Jesus' perfect righteousness and gives it to you as a gift. And that covers your remaining sin. And so God is has his arms wide open to you. He's welcoming you in. He's smiling at you. Everything has changed because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so David asks God, don't judge me, in order to remind himself that he is not righteous before God, but that God has done everything needed in order for David to be given the gift of righteousness, to be completely forgiven so that God can love him and accept him. And this is always crucial to remind ourselves of when we pray, because we can go one of two ways when we pray, one of two wrong ways. Some of us will tend to go towards being self-righteous. So I've done this, I've done this, I've done this this week, and that's why God will hear me. No, that will God will say, ah, this is not the truth. He'll pull back. Self-righteousness is not 
is, is not a, a welcome mat into, into, into God's hearing. But others of us can say, I've sinned too much. God's not going to hear me. Look at what I've done this past week. And we need to understand the cross and Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so what David is doing in admitting to God that he's not righteous in himself is reminding himself why his self-righteousness means nothing and why Jesus' righteousness means everything and, and why he can come to God and put his trust in him and be heard by him. So powerful. Third, in verses three and four, David is honest with God about what he's feeling. Read those verses. For the, the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. So David's telling God, I'm, I'm crushed. I'm sitting in spiritual darkness. I'm feeling faint. I'm feeling appalled. Now, does that shock you that David would say that to God? Some Christians think that whenever we come before God, we've always kind of got to be upbeat, like chipper. It's like, it's all good. You know, everything's fine down here. You know, no, right? I'm trusting you. No problems when inside you're just like, ah. Oh. But look, God knows what's happening inside of us. And you need to be completely honest with him. Because when you come before God and say, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I feel like my, my life is just crushed. My spiritual life is just on the floor. I'm just, I'm empty. When we come before God and tell him exactly what's happening in our hearts, that just, there's, there's, that strengthens a connection there. It strengthens your relationship with the Lord, your heart connection with the Lord. That honesty just really forges something powerful between you and the Father when you're completely honest about what you are facing. And that's why David says what he does here. He's completely honest with God. So when you pray, Father, my spiritual life is feeling like it's just been crushed. I feel like I'm sitting in, in darkness spiritually. My spirit is fainting within me. My heart is appalled. I'm just shocked at what's happened. I'm just struggling, Lord. Tell God exactly what's going on. That, that'll pave the way then. That'll open the door then for all that God wants to do in you through this season. Fourth, verses five through six, David expresses how much he longs for God. Verse five, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Now start with verse six. That last line in verse six, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. His heart is like a thirsty desert, thirsty, dry, barren desert. And, and the only water out there is God. And so he's, he's stretching out his hand saying, God, I need you. I'm thirsting for you like I'm in a barren desert land and you're the only water that there is. And just, I love that picture that David's stretching out his hands before God. Let, let me encourage you. Physical expression, like stretching out your hands or, or kneeling or bowing down, those don't gain any, like that doesn't earn anything before God. But I have found that when I, I just tried it this week, stretch out my hands towards God, say, God, I need you. I need you, God. 
it encourages what's, what I'm feeling in my heart, and it, just, it helps me to express it even more. So try that. But Dave, that's where David's at. He's longing for God's presence. He's stretching out his hands. His soul is thirsty, and God is the only water that there is. Here's how Charles Spurgeon commented on this verse, verse 6. Charles Spurgeon wrote a seven-volume book called Treasury of David. It's a commentary on all the Psalms. Amazing. Here's what he said about verse 6. Nothing would satisfy David but the presence of the Lord. If he could but feel the presence of his God, he would no longer be overwhelmed or dwell in darkness. Everything would turn to peace and joy. So David is longing for God's real, felt, experienced presence. And David knows that the way God brings his presence is through thinking about talking to God as he's revealed in the scriptures. That's, that's the whole point of verse 5. I remember the days of old. The mighty works that God has done is described in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. I meditate on all that you've done, your mighty works, and what that shows about you. I ponder the work of your hands. So David knows it's, it's through the knowledge of who God is as revealed in the scriptures. That's how we meet God. That's how we experience his presence. That's the point of verse 5. So if you want to experience more of God, don't close your Bible and put it aside and say, God, come and meet me. That's not what you do. Get your Bible, pull it in front, open it up, and say, God, come and meet me. And then open up the scriptures. And he will meet you. You'll meet him in the truth of who he is as revealed in the word. So here David expresses how much he longs for God. Think about your prayer this last week. How often this last week did you say, God, I, I'm longing for you. I'm thirsting for you. I need you. Make that a regular part of your prayer, especially when you're going through times of lament. Okay, fifth, in verse 7 through the beginning of verse 8, David asks God to pour out his presence. Read those verses. Verse 7, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Can you feel how desperate David is for God here? Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me or I'll be like one of those goes down to the pit. Now, that's a reference to Sheol, the place of the dead. In other words, what David is saying is, I'm going to die if I don't have your presence. I've got to have you, Lord God. I need you. And part of this is asking God to help him hear God's steadfast love in the morning. It's, he, he needs help to hear what God's word says about his steadfast love. What does that mean? Well, when we're going through times of lament, times of grief, times of struggle, our physical ears can still hear the Bible people say God is full of steadfast love. We can hear that with our physical ears, but the ears of our hearts have a hard time buying that sometimes, right? Have a hard time believing that. 
The ears of our heads, yes. The ears of our hearts, no. It's like we can believe it in our minds, but we're not feeling it in our hearts. And that's why David is saying, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. That is, help me to believe the truth about who you are. Change my heart, soften my heart, awaken my my spiritual ears, the ears of my heart, so that I really understand that. Help me to hear the truth of your steadfast love, so I will experience your nearness, your goodness, your face shining upon me. That's verses 7 and 8. David asks God to pour out his presence. Okay, sixth, second half of verse 8. David asks God to teach him what he should do. Verse 8, 8b. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Why is that important? Prayer of lament He's feeling crushed to the ground. Why, why does he pray this? It's because when, when we are overwhelmed with sorrow, with grief, with fear, very often we can make poor decisions, right? We can choose to do wrong things. So at these times, it's important to slow down and ask God to make known to us the way we should go. Father, what should I do? How should I respond? The problem is, so often we don't know, right? Especially at those times, we're just confused and befuddled. But see, God promises that whenever we ask him for wisdom in this kind of a situation, he will always give us the wisdom that we need. He will tell us what we should do, how we should respond, what steps we should take. And that's why David asks God to teach him what he should do. Seventh, verse nine, David asks God to deliver him from his enemies. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Now it's interesting. David's got this big problem with his enemies, right? I mean, they are causing him terrible suffering and struggle and oppression. But it's not up until this verse that David asks God to deliver him from his enemies. The verses so far, everything's been focused on strengthen me, show me your glory, help me to hear about your steadfast love, revive my soul. He's been praying about his heart, emotional, spiritual needs up to this point. It's not until verse nine that he asks God to deliver him from his enemies. And the reason is because there is nothing more important than God's nearness, God's presence. God himself is what's most vital and most crucial when we go through situations like this. But we do need to pray and we should pray for God to change our circumstances, for God to deliver us from our enemies. And that's what he prays about in verse nine. So in addition for asking God to to pour his love into your heart and to strengthen your faith and to make his nearness more real to you, pray and ask God to change your circumstances. Pray, say, Father, deliver me from these enemies or restore my health if it's a health concern or protect my job if there's some struggles there or change the heart of my child or whatever it might be. Don't hold back from asking God to change the circumstances that you're struggling with and that are troubling you so much. That's seventh. David asks God to deliver him from his enemies. 
An eighth. David asks God to teach him to do his will. Verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, earlier, David had asked God to help him understand his will, but here, David asks God to help him do his will. Why is that important? It's because at those times when we are struggling with grief, fear, anxiety, discouragement, at those times we can be tempted to sin, right? We can be tempted to pull away from fellowship, tempted to isolate. We can be tempted towards self-pity. We can be tempted to step back into the old ways of living, right? Isn't that the truth? It can be so tempting at those times. And so it's wise to ask God, God, teach me now. I'm at a vulnerable place. I can easily be tempted now. Teach me to do your will. Strengthen me to fight temptation. Keep me on the path of obedience. I want to walk with your good spirit on level ground, the level ground of obedience to you. That's that's the path I want to walk. So help me, Father. That's why David asks God to teach him to do his will. Do you ever ask God, God, teach me to do your will. Strengthen me in my obedience. Keep me from sinning. Help me. Start to pray that. That's what David prays here. Then ninth, verse 11, David gives God reasons why he should help him. Notice the reasons that David gives God in verse 11. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. So two reasons, for your name's sake and for your, in your righteousness. Now, those reasons are both saying the same thing because God's righteousness is his passion to display the glory of his name. God's righteousness is his passionate commitment to uphold and display the glory of his name. That's God's righteousness. That's his passion. And when God pours his grace out upon undeserving David, that mercy is going to display the glory of God. Remember who David was. David had murdered a man. David had committed adultery. David was not a perfect man, not a sinless man. David was not deserving of anything good from God just like me and like you. And when David, undeserving David, in his struggling cries out to God, help me, and God in his mercy and his compassion and his love answers undeserving David's prayer, people are going to be stunned not by David, but by God. You're glorious. Look at your mercy. Look at your compassion, and that'll exalt God's name. And that's what God's righteous passion is, is to uphold and display the glory of his name. And so David prays and says, Lord, for your name's sake, to display the glory of your mercy, come and help me. I'm undeserving. This will display your glory. Come and help me. And in your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. So I would encourage you, when you're going through hard times, to pray verse 11. 
and give God these two reasons for why he should help you. Father, for the sake of your name, to display the glory of your mercy, come, I'm undeserving. And Lord, for you to help me at a time like this will so show the glory of your mercy. Do it, Lord, for your name's sake and in your righteousness. Pray that way. Okay, one more. Verse 12. David expresses confidence that God will cut off his enemies. Verse 12. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Now, just a side note here. When David says, for I am your servant, he's not saying, I'm such a perfect servant that I deserve all this from you. That's not the point at all. He's saying, I'm your servant. I'm I'm your undeserving servant. I'm a humbled servant. I'm trusting your mercy. It's only mercy that's going to get me through this. Here's the basis on which I'm coming to you. Humble trust as a servant in your mercy. But notice in verse 12, those two times when that word will shows up. You will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries. David is confident that God will deliver him from all of his enemies. And throughout the Old Testament, God promises to deliver his people from their enemies. Like no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Right? Verses like that. What do those verses mean? Now think about David and his enemy Saul, for example. Saul was his enemy. What did it mean for God to deliver David from Saul? What did that mean? For 13 years, Saul had been pursuing David, trying to kill him. 13 years. So how did God deliver David from his enemy, Saul, if for 13 years, Saul was trying to kill him? It was not by removing Saul out of the picture. So what did God do? Here's what God did. He only allowed Saul to do what would strengthen David in God. And he didn't allow Saul to do anything that would weaken David in God. Let me say that again. This is what God does for us. He would not allow Saul to do anything that would weaken David in God. He only allowed Saul to do what would strengthen David in God. Now that Strengthening doesn't come automatically. David needed to pray like he does here and seek God's face and cry out to God. And through that, God would use whatever Saul was doing in order to strengthen David in God. And to be strengthened in God is, is so valuable, is so much what our hearts, souls long for, that it would be worth 13 years of Saul pursuing him in order to get that strengthening in God. That's that's what was happening with David and Saul as an example. And that's how God delivers us from our enemies. Of course, all of our enemies are going to be completely out of the picture in heaven, right? No more enemies at all. But in this life, what God does is he does not let our enemies do anything that will weaken us in God. He only lets them do what will strengthen us in God. And as we press in, as we pray, as we fight the fight of faith, we will come away from every attack of the enemy stronger in God closer to God, more filled with God. That's his purpose 
And that's what David is absolutely confident of here. That's what verse 12 means. And notice one more thing about verse 12. Verse 12 sounds totally different than the way David was talking earlier. Did you catch that? Earlier, my spirit is fainting within me. My heart is appalled. My, 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 my life is on the floor. My soul's crushed. I'm, I've been, I'm sitting in darkness. And now he says, God's going to meet me. God will help me. He knew that God was going to come through for him. So what changed between verse 12 and the earlier verses? What happened? What brought this about? Prayer. Prayer is what brought this about. Not just any prayer, but this prayer. This Psalm 143 prayer, where David set aside everything else and devoted himself to seeking God's face with this kind of prayer. And as David did that, God met him. We see the evidence in verse 12. His faith is starting to strengthen. His heart is starting to change. He's hearing God's steadfast love in the morning. God is shining his face upon him, and he knows that God is going to help him and meet him and give him everything that he needs. And I want to tell you, because you're trusting Jesus, that's what God will do for you as well. When you turn to God weak in faith, struggling, needy, empty, I believe, help my unbelief, full of unbelief. And when you cry out to God and you seek his face in his mercy because of Jesus, he will welcome you. He will strengthen you. He will shine his face upon you. You will hear with the the ears in your heart, God has steadfast love for me. And you will emerge from that time strong, at peace, and confident God is for us. Who could be against us? What can separate me from Christ's love? Nothing can separate me from Christ's love. You'll emerge comforted, strengthened, and met by God. Grace Church, let's be a church that when we go through seasons of lament, which we all will, but we open up like Psalm 143, or we pray along the lines of Psalm 143, we press in cry out to the Lord, because when we do, because of Jesus, he will meet us every time. Every time. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would touch each of us with exactly what we need right now whatever circumstances we're facing, whatever our prayer life has been like. But, oh Lord, I pray that you would take these words from your word and you would strengthen us in prayer. And we praise you that because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the door is always open to come to you just as we are and that you will always meet us and love us and welcome us and help us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.